You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience on this Tuesday, October 30th, your one-stop shop for independent conservative thought here at Conservative Review, powered by Westwood One Podcast Network. And what what, what do I – I don't know. What do I tell you? Every day is another year of a news cycle. We had the pipe bomber. We had the Pittsburgh attack. And then today we have birthright citizenship. Many of you have heard the rumor that President Trump is going to write an executive order ending so-called birthright citizenship, which is kind of a misnomer, and we're going to discuss that. And not just the left, but the phony right is freaking out as well. And – To begin with, just recognize that Trump often puts out trial balloons and then he doesn't do it. So I don't know whether he's going to do it or not. But because this is a core constitutional question that lays at the foundation of who we are as a society, I feel a need to address this immediately. I'm going to have a long article out. As you well know, I wrote an entire chapter, chapter four of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. It's available at Amazon. You could still get it. Still copies in print. Um, that makes the definitive legal, historical, and philosophical and policy case against giving automatic citizenship to children of those who break into our country. And that is the question. I don't know how much I'm going to have time to get to today because i got to run quickly to D.C. And I'm sorry if I'm talking very quickly. I'm taping for Eric Bowling's CRTV show tonight to talk a little bit about this as well as Pittsburgh. So i got to get down there get a train, get a subway, everything. So I'm on a tight schedule, and I don't know if I can get in everything today. But I want to hone in primarily on one point, the point that everyone is missing about birthright citizenship. And that is, even if you agree, erroneously in my view, that we adopted as a nation with the 14th Amendment, automatic birthright citizenship, meaning automatically the children born to immigrant parents in America on our soil are unquestionably citizens based on a floor mandated, a floor of citizenship, a floor of criteria mandated by the the 14th Amendment outside of the realm of congressional regulation. I, I, I don't agree with that. But even if you do, there is no way you could apply that to illegal aliens. And I think the important point here to orient your brain towards the issue is not to look upon it in terms of nouns, a legal immigrant or an illegal immigrant. View it in terms of the action, the verb. Someone who came here with the consent of the people and the laws passed by the people's representatives or someone who came here without the consent, they broke in. If something doesn't smell right, it isn't right. If you think there's a notion that someone could kick down the door of your home, break in, drop a baby, and he is entitled to live in your house forever, and you got to take care of him and grant him privileged status as if he's a member of your home, you're missing something. And frankly, if the Constitution ever did say that, which it doesn't, 
this is where you would apply Robert Jackson's um, Justice Robert Jackson's uh, uh, truism that the Constitution is not a suicide pact. So just to, to really unpack this, and, and again, I'm going to try to link to in show notes as many of the articles as I've written in the past, but the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because a lot of you have complained that a lot of it's legalese or it's, you know, I don't, Daniel, I don't have a law degree. What are you doing here? I, I need to do that because people are making very serious mistaken arguments, legal arguments, so I have to combat it, and, I, and, and this stuff needs to be written and chapter four of my book, I, I admit, is very heavy. It's the heaviest chapter of my book. It's not the type of thing you usually want to write in a consumable book. But I felt that this concept has been lost forever, so I wanted to you know, basically lay down that marker for all of time so we don't forget what's going on. Sovereignty and consent. Nothing ever trumps those two things, those two concepts. Never. Never in any case. So, basically, here's what happened. From the beginning of the country, let's go from the beginning of the country until 1867 when the 14th Amendment was ratified. Um, who's a citizen? So, obviously, the, the Constitution doesn't discuss that. The Constitution gives Congress one of its enumerated powers, Article 1, Section 8, is to create a unified uh, laws of naturalization, it's up to Congress. Whatever they want to create, there is no mandated floor. And the way that worked was that you know anyone they wanted to grant and unfortunately they only did it for whites and not not anyone else and they excluded um blacks from citizenship and you know once you're a citizen so then it was deeply rooted in you know all our, our customs that we always kept that it's it's passed down in the blood it's passed down the blood that once you have it so then automatically your kids have it if you are bestowed citizenship. Now, how did you get citizenship? Well, your parents were. And, well, what if someone came here as an immigrant? Well, I mean, you had to go before, back in those days, a state judge. The states kind of controlled it. Even though the feds had the authority, the feds allowed the states to govern immigration, as we talk about a lot, before the 1870s, 1880s. Um, and a lot of that was just because of the politics of the Civil War and, and population and census and slavery. So that, that really got in their way of ever federalizing it until, until late. They had the power, but they didn't exercise it. They allowed the states to control it. So you know, if they didn't like you as an immigrant, they wouldn't give you citizenship. If, if you know, you're a child born to an immigrant, you'd come before them. It's, it's up to their discretion. You know, that's basically what it was. And basically anyone who was the right race, unfortunately, in the you know, the way the country was back then, they'd give it usually, you know, barring the fact that you had issues, you know, you were a criminal or whatever. Um, and if not, you wouldn't get it, you know, even if you were born here and your parents were born here and, you know, like the children of black slaves who were here for hundreds of years. So that's that's what happened. You know, it was passed down through the blood so that you know, let's say you're an American and you move overseas and you have a kid, that kid is an American. 14th Amendment obviously was written, as we all know, had nothing to do with immigration. It was written to ensure that blacks who are living here forever um, and they were disenfranchised wrongfully that they were given citizenship. That's what it was designed to do, period. It certainly wasn't designed to grant illegal invaders who disenfranchise both blacks and whites and everyone 
automatic citizenship, okay? It was designed to rectify the problem from slavery on down. That's what it was, period. There's no question about it. The question was, well, once it writes that if you're born in the U.S. and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, how does that apply to immigration? Is it creating a floor for immigration? I want to just not to get too heavy into the first part, but I am making the case that even if the answer is it created a floor, that anyone who comes here and is admitted consensually as an immigrant and they have a child here, no matter the circumstances, they automatically have to be granted citizenship. I certainly believe in that as a matter of policy. You know, if your parents are green card holders, I certainly want you to be a citizen. And if especially because we only want, you know, merit-based immigration. And once we have our proper immigration, I certainly want the children to easily become automatic citizens. I'm arguing that there is no way in hell that could apply to illegal immigrants. But first, before we get to that point, just so we understand the issue with legal immigrants, the, the attorney general under Ulysses Grant as well as the 1873 Slaughterhouse case of the Supreme Court, Slaughterhouse cases, and Elk v. Wilkins in 1884 made it very clear that the original intent, this was a few years after the 14th Amendment was ratified, was primarily to grant equal rights to freed black slaves, and that the phrase subject to the jurisdiction thereof required that the petitioner for citizenship, quote, be completely subject to their political jurisdiction and owing them direct and immediate allegiance. Okay. It was very clear it was not taking away from Congress the ability to regulate immigration. And what that meant is that there was no floor, meaning, for example, and I'm not saying I support this. I'm saying if Congress theoretically wanted to pass a law and say, okay, in order to get automatic citizenship, you have to have a green card and be here for five years before having a kid for that kid to be a citizen – they have the right to do that, and I believe they still have the right to do that. And that is clearly what the court said in in um in these cases, as well as a previous as, as another case that was written by the same justice who later established birthright citizenship in Wong Kim Ark in eighteen ninety eight. Um, you know, obviously. It says you're born in the United States and, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof in order to be an automatic citizen. Now, that extra phrase is superfluous. Okay? No one ever thought born in the United States was Amelia Bedelia style literalism. Of course, it excluded Indians. Of course, it excluded and until they were statutorily given citizenship in the 1920s. And of course, it excluded those born to foreign diplomats. You didn't need subject to the jurisdiction thereof for that. It was it was clearly giving an extra thing that you had to be rendered by the nation as consensually part of our jurisdiction. You cannot unilaterally assert jurisdiction. And we can make whatever agreement we want with you in terms of what's going on. Nonetheless, in 1898, reversing precedent, including his own precedent, Justice Horace Gray wrote an opinion um, basically saying that – so what happened was um, they didn't want 
they, you know, unfortunately, they didn't like the Chinese or Asians back then. They didn't want them here. They wanted to prevent them from coming. They wanted to expel them, which, by the way, the courts, including Justice Gray in decisions in 1892-1893, said certainly Congress can do that. But the question arose, what happens if they have a kid? So a kid was born. A kid said, I should be a citizen. So I understand my parents, you could say they're foreign nationals. They immigrated and the law prevented them from ever becoming citizens because naturalization, of course, Congress rules over naturalized citizens. So, But I'm a natural-born citizen. So if I'm a citizen, you can't deport me. And that's when it said in Wong Kim Ark that – you know, anyone who is domiciled here, and that's going to be a very important word, if you're domiciled here, then you are, um, if your parents are domiciled here, the child is a citizen. That was a very activist decision. It was adopting just solely a constitutional mandate for automatic citizenship based on soil, that instead of just sanguinis, which is right of blood, which is that it's passed down through the blood, not the soil, that is divorced from our history and tradition based on consent and allegiance and created citizenship based on the feudal system of common law of England that they were moving, oh, uh, they were moving away from that. The revolutionary era feudal system rooted in the notion that men are subjects to the state by virtue of being born on the soil. It's consent-based citizenship that our founders believed in, not the feudalism. We did adopt some English law. It's all over the legal system. But as Thomas Jefferson said in the notes of the state of Virginia, we adopted only the, quote, freest principles of the English Constitution. We certainly were not adopting just solely. And again, what this meant was that not that necessarily only those who are citizens could have children who are citizens, but the nature of what type of immigrant you are and your circumstances, how long you're here, it would be up to Congress to define that level. But he created a floor. Nope. Anyone who comes here and has a parent who is domiciled here is that child is automatically a citizen. Chief Justice Fuller gave a very scholarly and, and persuasive dissent that is much stronger than the opinion. I believe he's right. Justice Gray himself signed on to that a few years before. It was a very activist decision. I don't – I mean unless there could be some people who have a theory. I personally don't know of any explanation for why he changed. It was considered a very radical departure at the time. But that's where birthright citizenship came from. I am telling you here that I am – because I agree with the policy anyway, and we're not going to relitigate that, I am willing to agree that – to birthright citizenship, that if you're born on American soil, you're a citizen. Here's the problem. You can only apply that to legal immigrants. You can't apply that to illegal immigrants. Let me put that another way. You can only apply that to people who are consensually admitted because then there is a way we could prevent that. If we don't want you – well, we won't let you in, but part of letting you in, not on a tourist visa, and we're not going to talk about that so much today, the birth tourism. We're just talking about regular legal immigration. We'll get that at another point. But you come here consensually on an immigrant visa. You get a green card. 
we know that you could very well likely have a kid, and that kid will be an American citizen. But we could prospectively prevent that if we don't like you or your ilk or your type by not letting you in. As opposed to someone who's here illegally, meaning they break into our country, avoid detection, evade detection from the Border Patrol, or overstay their terms of consensual admission on a visa, then if the notion that you could tell me that even prospectively there is nothing I can do to prevent you from doing that, we are no longer a sovereign nation. A sovereign nation means you're free from external control. They're telling us that even prospectively, there's nothing we can do. People are running to the border, and with a pregnant wife, uh, the Border Patrol couldn't get there in time, step over the line, boom, citizen. Keep in mind, Trump or anyone else, nobody is trying to take this away retrospectively. It's prospectively. So anyone who is erroneously given this status based on the prevailing understanding, and that's what it is. It's not, it's not a court case. We never had a court case on um, illegal children of illegal immigrants. And there's no statute. It's a phantom interpretation of the 14th Amendment of the legal political class. right? So there's nothing there right now. But nonetheless, we're not going to take it away. It's prospectively. If you are telling me we can't do that, we do not have a sovereign nation, period. We are done. And there's no way you could do that. Where the other side is coming from is they're saying there's a footnote from – Crazy leftist Justice William Brennan in the 1982 Plyler v. Doe decision, if you remember, that was the activist case, Rehnquist dissented, where they said Texas must give K-12 education to illegals. So you see where they're headed with this. And he wrote in a footnote on dictum, right? so it's not binding, it had nothing to do with the case. He said, and presumably, based on Juan Kimark, so there should be no difference between if you're here illegally or illegally, vis-a-vis birthright citizenship. I'm here to tell you that that makes all of the difference. All of the difference is whether you're here with consent or not. So I'm agreeing for the purpose of argument. I don't really agree it was right, but I'm agreeing to agree to birthright citizenship. That's not what we're disagreeing with. We're disagreeing with the notion that you could break into this country without our consent, drop a baby, and unilaterally assert jurisdiction and shove that on us, and there's not a damn thing we can do about it other than amend the Constitution. See, they want to say, well, when the Constitution was written in the 14th Amendment, you know, we didn't really have illegal immigrants, so it's anyone who's born here, so, you know, because anyone could just come here. There weren't laws excluding until the 1880s. Well, so therefore, it covers everyone. Again, first of all, that's not what it was. It's subject to the jurisdiction thereof. That has to be consensually. But also, it's not true. As we've talked about on numerous occasions, um, the states govern that, and they excluded plenty of people. But moreover, they're missing the point. That was consent. It's not that there's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. Focus on the verb, not the noun. We had always had the right, but on a federal level, because of certain political reasons, and also because there was, wasn't much of a need until mass migration in the 1880s when you had ship liners as opposed to just cargo ships with mass numbers of people coming over, and you had a new country you're trying to fill up the population. There wasn't a need for it. There wasn't a desire for it. Um, so we didn't regulate it, but we always reserved that right to do it. So if you came to our shores and stepped forward, assuming we didn't kick you out because you had issues of a public charge, which states did do – then you're here with consent. But once we reclaimed that right and asserted it 
beginning in the 1870s, 1880s, then if you come here without permission, you are here without consent. In the 1860s, you were here with consent. And if you're not here with consent, here's the key of this podcast. It is as if you are literally in the most physical sense standing outside our soil. I'm not arguing on birthright citizenship. I am making the case that if you are here illegally, it's as, it's as if you are standing outside of our soil. The reason why this is important is, and you know, those of you who have heard me say this before, this is not just with regards to birthright citizenship. It's everything. They're asserting all sorts of benefits and rights and education and due process and right to um, Article Three courts, standing to sue, the right to get an abortion. Think about this. Leftists are basically saying an illegal could come here and either demand we help kill the baby or demand citizenship for the baby. Nothing in between. How about you don't have a right to abortion and we don't want to kill your baby, but we're, we have no you have no right to force us to give him citizenship. But no, we can't, we can't do that. In, in the links I'm going to give to you, there's a wealth, a wealth of case law where the court said emphatically in the most emphatic terms, and later on, decades later, they said that it's the most uninterrupted stream of case law, that if you're here illegally, it's as if you are standing outside our shores. In and by the way, this is one case that was said in, in this Nishimura case in 1892 by Justice Gray himself said that. And that's going to be very important. I'm going to get to it in a minute. But I can go on and on. United States v. Jutoi, it's a Japanese case, 1905. Um, a person who comes to the country illegally, quote, is to be regarded as if he had stopped at the limit of his jurisdiction, although physically he may be within its boundaries. The petitioner, although physically within our boundaries, is to be regarded as if he had been stopped at the limit of our jurisdiction. Of our jurisdiction! You are not subject to the jurisdiction. See what I mean? And kept there while his right to enter was under debate. Nobody else, to my knowledge, is making this argument, or at least as directly as I am. Now, people are saying, of course, you can't apply to illegals, but I'm explaining to you why you can't apply to illegals. The courts, the courts never directly ruled on illegal immigration, do children of illegals have a right to birthright citizenship? But I will argue that the courts came very close to doing it, and I will argue that the reason why they never did it is because until recently, A, it wasn't relevant because we didn't have too many illegals before the 60s, 70s, and B, nobody's brains would have ever posited such an argument because it was so obvious that even for lesser purposes, for basic due process, you didn't have rights Certainly to confer positive privileges and the ultimate privilege of stealing sovereignty, stealing the birthright of the American people based on your unilateral decision to break our laws. As far back as the 1950s, the Supreme Court had already said that, quote, for over a half a century, this court has held that the detention of an alien in custody pending determination of his admissibility does not legally constitute an entry Though the alien is physically within the United States. That's Lang May Ma v. Barber in 1958. Turner v. Williams, 1904, talked about an inadmissible alien not having First Amendment rights. Why? Because, quote, he does not become one of the people to whom these things are secured by our Constitution by an attempt to enter forbidden by law. This was literally these cases within years of Wong Kim Ark. 
as late as Zavidas v. Davis, a bad decision by Kennedy in 2001. Nonetheless, the court reiterated that any alien, quote, paroled into the United States pending admissibility, quote, without having gained a foothold, has, quote, not affected an entry. And again, that was even when we parole a guy temporarily because of some reason. Certainly, if you just totally evade us and you're totally here illegally, we never let you in even temporarily. Certainly, 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 it's as if you're standing outside our boundaries. So I'm here to tell you that even if it didn't say subject to the jurisdiction thereof, if it said straight up, anyone born in the United States is a citizen, you couldn't apply it to this. This is the problem. There's a whole group of people these thumb-sucking, I'm a textualist. Daniel, you're reading too much. The text, the text. Well, again, it says subject to the jurisdiction thereof. There is a second condition. But what, what, what liberals and sometimes libertarians do is either they make up new rights that are just totally not written or they go the opposite extreme. They read something like Amelia Bedelia-style literalism, not the basic common sense of anyone who understood it at the time. It's not, it's not a literal, it's not like, hey, it says general welfare in the Constitution, the preamble, so welfare is in the Constitution. Like, that, that's, what it, that's what a schmuck does. Okay, that, that, that's Amelia Bedelia. It doesn't mean you could break into the country. No one would have, no, it means you're born here with consent. And... Let me just say this, and again, going back to um, the 14th Amendment, and this is true of every clause. Representative James F. Wilson from Iowa, Republican from Iowa, he was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in the 1860s who helped craft the 14th Amendment and the, um, the Civil Rights Act. He said, quote, that it was – no, it was, quote, meaning the 14th Amendment, quote, was – establishing no new right, declaring no new principle. It is not the object of this bill to establish new rights, but to protect and enforce those which belong to every citizen. It was, it was merely giving to black Americans the bare bones, life, liberty, and property, and in the citizenship clause citizenship that everyone else had. It certainly wasn't stealing the sovereignty of all citizens, black and white, to give even to legal immigrants this automatic floor, and certainly to those that violate our sovereignty and come here without consent. It is scandalous. It defies logic. I can't relate to that thought process, how anyone could think that. How anyone could think that. It is just amazing. But, folks, here is the kicker. I'm going to read to you from my book, and this is um, – it's going to be in the article as well. Kaplan v. Todd in 1925, that is the most important case that in my mind proves clearly just how emphatic and literal the sense is that if you're not here with consent, it's as if you are not here. And, 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 and for, for terms of citizenship, I'm going to make a parallel comparison from naturalization law. <clears throat> Here goes. On July 20th, 1914, the Kaplan family came to Ellis Island to reunite with the father of the family who had been working in the country for a few years. The 13-year-old daughter was deemed inadmissible for being, quote, feeble-minded. But because of her, the outbreak of World War I, her deportation was delayed. She was handed over to the custody of the Hebrew Aid Society, which had her live together with her father until she was ordered deported in, in 1923. 
In the meantime, the father had become a citizen three years earlier and asserted that because his daughter was under 21 at the time of, na- of his naturalization and was living in the United States, she should automatically be granted citizenship alongside him pursuant to longstanding law, which is still basically law in the book, by the way. But in a unanimous and terse decision, the court swatted down the petition. Quote, here's what the court said. Naturalization of parents affects minor children only if, quote, this is the language of the statute, if dwelling in the United States, meaning your father is naturalizing, you're under the age of 21, and you are dwelling in the United States. The appellant could not lawfully have landed in the United States in view of the express prohibition of the Act of 1910, just to refer to, and until she legally landed, quote, could not have dwelt, dwelt within the United States. See how literal that is. Now, this is me talking now. The court backhandedly rejected the notion that she, quote, dwelt within the United States, even though she physically lived with her father for nine years on American soil, soil, partly with temporary permission from the government. That is because, quote, she was still in theory of law at the boundary line and had gained no foothold in the United States and had never, quote, I'm quoting for the court case, been dwelling in the United States within the meaning of the act. Now, stop for a moment and compare the language of the naturalization statute for those immigrant children seeking naturalization together with their parents to the wording of the 14th Amendment governing those born here. The 14th Amendment requires that the child be born here and, quote, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. It is indisputable that even according to those opinions in which jurisdiction means territorial jurisdiction and not political jurisdiction, by the way, absurdly rendering the phrase superfluous, as I noted earlier, I don't agree with this, but I'm agreeing. Birthright citizenship, it means literal territory, territorial jur- jurisdiction. Still, the language of subject to the jurisdiction is certainly more restrictive than the purely geographical and literal phrase of dwelling in the United States. Right? That's very literal. Subject to the jurisdiction clearly is more political, more of a political, you know, sounding. Dwelling. After all, everyone concedes that Indian tribes and children born to foreign diplomats were excluded by this phrase, subject to the jurisdiction, even though they are physically born on our soil. Right? And that's, that's obvious. Yet, the court ruled in 1925 based on uncontested precedent that those living here unlawfully don't even satisfy the meaning and intent of dwelling in the United States, even in a case where they were granted temporary permission to live here on humanitarian grounds. It is therefore simply preposterous to assert that those who willfully violate our laws and snuck into the country without permission can secure jurisdiction for their children against the consent of the nation. As the left would say, it's settled law that illegal immigrants are considered, quote, at the boundary line and had gained no foothold in the United States, irrespective of where they reside now. Oh, I'm in California. No, no, no. You're outside our boundary. Here's what's interesting. The foundational case of what's called the plenary power doctrine, that the political branches have the right to exclude anyone, deport anyone, that Immigration is all consent-based. Sovereignty is the Nishimura case of 1892. Who authored that? None other than Justice Horace Gray. And that's originally where he said it's as if you're at the boundary line. You're not here, even though we let you off the ship. You know, while you're, we're debating your status, and certainly someone that is clearly just prima facie here illegally. So he he wrote that opinion. Okay. When he authored Wong Kim Ark six years later, I counted, he used the term domiciled 12 times. 
It's if your parents are domiciled immigrants. Domiciled. That is a legal term of art. It's not like a, oh, I snuck in. I'm on your soil. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. You're screwed. No. That means you're here with consent. You're here with consent. And what's amazing is he used the same language. He actually said, "It's he, in, in the exclusion cases, he says, Justice Gray, it says you are not domiciled here. He says you're not domiciled here. You, you, let me make it very clear here. Some people might say, well, Daniel, you're drawing from naturalization statute to the language of the Constitution governing birthright citizenship, those born here. But they're missing a point. There's one point everyone's missing. The author of Wong Kim Ark, of course, philosophically, there's no way you could apply what he said legally to illegal immigrants. But I could prove it to you because he wrote a number of cases around the same era when he said, if you come here, and again, not someone who snuck in, someone who came at a port of entry and were debating their status. We, we, you're, you're brought onto our soil. It says, if you are not, quote, domiciled. Then he goes and says in 1898, I disagree with the opinion, but nonetheless, he said that anyone born to parents domiciled here is a citizen. What does domiciled mean? Justice Gray himself is the best Source for that. He told us, domiciled, he told us what it does not mean. It does not mean someone who comes here without consent because they're not domiciled. Done. There's nothing more to talk about, folks. There's a lot more to say, and I'm forgetting 50 million things, but I hope that was clear enough. It is uncontested, uninterrupted train of, of law from the courts that if you're here without consent, it is if you are not here in its most literal and physical way with regard to all of our laws and status. So there's no way you could read the 14th Amendment that way. No way. How does this – let's just apply to what's going on now. There's two points I want to make politically that's happening now. A lot of people are asking me, well, Daniel, um, okay, I understand – where you're saying Congress needs to change this, but how could the president change it? I mean, we don't like executive power. We don't like presidents doing this. Even Robbie George, a great professor from Princeton, I love the guy to death, um, was kind of saying this. What is this with this thing? All legislative powers are vested in Congress. What what do these presidents, Republican and Democrat, not understand? <clears throat> and with all due respect, I don't think he understands this specific issue. He's missing the point. And Paul Ryan just said, a president can't do this. Speaker Paul Ryan. That is an illegitimate argument, according to all sides. Meaning, either I'm right that the 14th Amendment says no such thing, even for illegal immigrants, much less illegal immigrants, or it does. Meaning, if it's not in the Constitution, then even the president can do it, because there's no statute. The only statute is the Immigration Nationality Act. The INA just copies and pastes the language of the 14th Amendment. But that is the dispute we're having. What does that mean? It's not like – like let's say had Congress at some point just said, and even if you're here illegally, your parents are illegal, you're a citizen. So then done. You know, It's not that it's unconstitutional. Congress can do that. It's a question of whether the Constitution created a floor, but Congress could always create their own floor if they want. But they did no such thing. People forget 
the origins of citizenship for illegal Im- immigrants. There was never any sort of time where at some point, dun, 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 boom, boom, you know, they said, all right, anyone here born to illegal immigrants, you're, you're a citizen because we think this is what the 14th Amendment means. It happened by accident. We didn't really have illegal immigrants. When it started in the 60s, 70s, 80s, so what happened was it was by accident with laziness and lax oversight. Because generally speaking, like I said, we do have birthright citizenship, and certainly after Wang Kim Ark, any legal immigrant was. So pretty much your any hospital, they just the nurse comes in and gives you a birth certificate, and you fill it out and you send it in. There was never any guidance given to ask for you know proof of legal residency, or even if you don't you know regulate the hospitals, but at the back end have Social Security Administration and HHS clamp down on this, and and you know okay we get your application, your birth certificate, and we look well. No, you're you're. We don't have you in our system. You were never admitted. Who are you? You're here illegally. No, you can't. You can't get this. They never did that. It was it, it wasn't an active act. It was actually passive. Under that is my understanding of the origin of it. It was all executive. You know, it was stolen sovereignty based on the executive. So here's just the executive garbage in, garbage out. I don't know the nature of the executive order. I haven't seen the draft. We don't know if he'll even want to pull the trigger on it as of this recording. But, but, assuming he does, what it would mean is you just order HHS and SSA to verify legal status before granting that um, birth certificate and Social Security card. Right? What happened was in the 90s, once this became an issue that we had so many of these hundred, several hundreds, a hundred thousand being born every year, stealing our birthright, st- getting eligible for welfare, um, getting able to vote, counted in our senses, bringing in their parents and you know, stealing our sovereignty that there's nothing we can do, that they could just get a hook in here, do what they want, and we can't even – so that's when Harry Reid, of all people, said this is ludicrous and other people introduced legislation. That's when the left retroactively manufactured this argument, discovered the footnote in Plyler v. Doe, and created this crap based on Wonkin Mark. Nobody ever thought something that stupid before that. They retroactively created this argument. And the body politic just making it that way because now it became an issue. You know me. God's my witness and you guys are my witness that I'm not shy about criticizing Trump, about things he says, about ethanol, about jailbreak, about going back on promises. Believe me, there's nobody in my position that is this close with Trump on immigration, and you know the administration appreciates my work on it. But nonetheless, I'll come a day later and just lash out against them on things I disagree with. So you know me, and you also know I'm a big Article One guy about congressional power. But honestly, I can't find a single thing Trump has done executively that he didn't have power to do because most of what he's doing is just undoing the things Obama did. In this case, it seems kind of new, but what I'm telling you is it wasn't a statute. It was a prevailing misinterpretation. No, no one ever did this. So that's number one. It is indefensible to say Trump doesn't have the power other than if you think the Constitution mandates it. But then that leads to the next thing, so it will go to the courts. Well, Daniel, won't the court say it's unconstitutional? Look, whatever – they can now shop it around. They'll shop it around to any court, get a nationwide injunction, which is totally illegal. And I agree with those who are saying that we don't – that there are more than five justices, certainly Roberts. I would venture to say Gorsuch. I don't know enough about Alito 
and uh, Kavanaugh on this, but certainly Thomas will be good on it. Um, but we will not have five votes for our position, and they'll they'll say that. But that gets back to my broader point about the judiciary. This is the ultimate case for which I wrote my book about. Think about this. So an illegal is denied a birth certificate for their kids. He sues. But this is not a case or controversy. This is a national question. Should illegals be able to break into this country and prospectively speaking, there's not a darn thing we could do to stop them from demanding citizenship other than changing the Constitution? That is bullcrap. That is not a case or controversy. That is the ultimate question. You know, Madison, when he was explaining republicanism, that sovereignty must reside with the people, that the decisions must flow directly from the people through their elected representatives, the ultimate decision is sovereignty, is who becomes a citizen. That's the most important decision a society makes, who will become a citizen and get to join in in determining the outcome of other issues. He wrote, in the case of naturalization, a new member is added to the social compact by a majority of the governing body deriving its powers from a majority of the individual parties to the social compact. This is deeply rooted in the social compact. You cannot break that. The court does not have a monopoly on that. Who issues birth certificates is the executive branch. That is their jurisdiction. If they believe the Constitution doesn't require that, it doesn't require that, and a court cannot order them to do it. That is an executive power. They could give an order to an illegal all they want, should, who should never have standing, and it's not legitimate anyway. But that is a – even if you use a legitimate case or controversy, but if you're trying to resolve a broad question like with slavery, as we quoted from the Lincoln-Douglas debates with Roger Taney and Dred Scott and the sovereignty with the territories, the fugitive slave laws – whether slaves are property, Lincoln always said, this president, you know, I'm going to do what I want. And, and indeed, it, that was the opposite. They were denying blacks, and he used executive power. He gave blacks passports. He, he handed it out to them, even though that was in violation of Dred Scott. When he was president, he actually did that. So in this case, you certainly have the right not to issue it. I mean, there he was directly, actively violating the court, so to speak. Again, there's no such thing as violating a court order if you're a separate branch of government. Um, but this is even more passive. You're just merely not giving it. They don't have the right to force you. Now, look, if Congress doesn't like what he's doing, which a lot of Republicans are, you know, agree to, and you have a supermajority, they have the right to write a statute and clarify that, and then Trump will have to follow it. But until and unless you have such a thing, he has the right to do this. And then you have elections over this. Something this important, the people have to decide. If you took a poll and worded it, not do you believe in birthright citizenship? People think, well, I don't know, does that mean my kids are a citizen? Like, no, that's not the question. Of course we believe in birthright citizenship in that respect. Could someone who comes here without consent break in and demand citizenship for their kids? Tell me what the polling looks like. And finally, I want to point out, this is another example of the reverse Kavanaugh that I talked about. What's the Kavanaugh effect? It's when you have an entire party speaking on the same tune, speaking the truth. It worked. We never have that on any other issue. Nobody's standing with Trump. Very few people. Lindsey Graham, actually, of all people, is. More than half the Republicans and all the thumbsuckers and National Review, uh, this is why the left wins. He's doing the right thing here. 
it is in my there, there's a very important political point to make here in my mind you know they always focus immigration on a logistical problem like what do you do with the ones already here they came here of no fault of their own and i always said it's a lie because it's not just about those here because if that were the case you would agree with my 25 ideas end all illegal immigration shut it down prospectively and then you could g- give amnesty but the fact that they never want to do that i always said it's a clear proof that they want the next wave and the next wave and the next wave and that's the thing it is indefensible put put aside legalities and constitution for a minute just from a policy standpoint how could you oppose this in other words let, let's just say it's in the constitution okay let's amend the constitution the entire political class, all the left and half the conservatives, so to speak, would be opposed to doing such a thing. How? Prospectively? Remember I gave a lecture on the way to end illegal immigration, dot, 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 is making it illegal. And, you know, it's kind of funny, but we don't because we wink and nod not well. Don't come here. But if you come here, well, actually, uh, not only won't we throw you out, uh, K through twelve education. Um, you could sue other people. You could sue law enforcement. Oh, and, and your kids are citizens. Well, then they're going to come. I mean, that is the dumbest thing in the world. It's indefensible. We have no nation without this. Yet we have no clarity on it. It's all left to the courts. Now I understand why Trump's doing this because Congress will never get rid of it anyway. Um. They're just never going to do it. This is his only shot. The courts are going to decide it anyway. Even if Congress did it, the same courts would overturn it. So he's like, look, we have the best Supreme Court we've had in a while. If we ever had a shot, let's get it there. And I understand what he's doing. But I'm just saying the notion that we should submit to a Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices know nothing more than I know about this issue than all of us collectively as the people, the states, the executive branch, Congress. There's not like a, a facts of a case or controversy that are only within their realm. This is an open question of everything I just discussed. I, I laid it all out to you mainly. And, um, and that's it. Somehow they have some greater insight than us on this. They get to have insight on in a case or controversy. They don't get to have a, insight on a national question that is, you will never find anything more foundational and fundamental, the foundation of the foundation, than, than who gets to determine who becomes a citizen, us or foreign invaders. It just, it just defies logic. It defies logic. So um, so that's that. And, and, and again, I didn't even get into the whole debate over the congressional, um, you know uh, – the congressional record from 1867 and the debates over and what they were saying, you know, it is, it is patently obvious what they were saying. You obviously have the quotes from Turnbull and, and Jacobs. And I have that in my book. I'm not even going over that. That was all about legal immigrants. People here with consent. We could discuss that more later. There's a lot of other issues to discuss here. But, you know, again, I, I, I really caution those that are saying Trump does too many things executively. Facts matter. The details matter. Delve into the what he's doing. What does statute say? What does the Constitution say? 
Obama was doing the exact opposite. He was stealing the sovereignty of the people. He was doing something that only Congress can confer benefits. Trump is just relinquishing something that Congress never conferred. And you're saying, well, the Constitution does. Well, that's the question, and it, it really doesn't. But fine, then it will go to the courts anyway. It has nothing to do with Congress here, unless Congress wants to step in. Now, look, obviously, I would much rather have the strength of Congress signed by the president's signature doing this. Um, because I believe also you have other things to work with. You have Section 5 of – first of all, you have the plenary power over naturalization. I think that's very strong. That you you have to interpret it. They have a plenary power, and then now you're telling me the 14th Amendment supersedes that. You better show me beyond the shadow of a doubt the 14th Amendment absolutely says that before you rel- relinquish a power we know they have. This is a little, let's say, ambiguous. It's not, but let's just say it's ambiguous. Their power over naturalization is not ambiguous. That's number one. Number two, Section Five of Article Four of of Amendment 14 gives Congress the power to regulate and enforce the terms of the 14th Amendment. So I think they would have the power to say, look, to us, subject of jurisdiction certainly means enough to certainly exclude those who come here without consent. I think that's more powerful. They're not going to do it because we have a bunch of bastards as Republicans that we keep electing and that these idiots ignore primaries. We have a bunch of Paul Ryans. But um, it is what it is. The president still has the power to do this simply because this was never done. This was never, ever, ever done. Trump could repeal something that doesn't exist. I'm just saying, let's say we think as a nation, we think as a nation, anyone who immigrates here from country Timbuktu is entitled to a million dollar check when he comes to um, comes to America. And, you know, past administrations start doing it. And then a president comes in and says, stop, stops it. Hey, executive abuse, you're, you're doing things executively. Well, I mean, it was start, it, it, it was made up. It, it was a, a lack of oversight. And again, one other point. Gosh, I have so much more to say, and I got to run. But two more important points here. One, one more philosophically, one specifically. One of my proofs, and this is going to be in my article, that this was not deliberate but actually passive, is that everyone agrees, all sides agree that children of diplomats are not American citizens. Okay, they don't get citizenship. There is a lot of evidence that a number of them were given birth certificates and didn't relinquish them again it's no one's fault because the hospitals automatically did it they didn't know the nurse isn't like oh you're um the son of the luxembourg uh consulate guy so uh no they give it to them and hhs past administrations were derelict and we should all agree everyone has to agree they did not enforce that i mean there's no way around that so i'm just telling you it's the same thing on this it wasn't deliberate and meanwhile, they're super citizens. It's dangerous because the whole point is that they're not subject to our laws. That's the whole point. They have diplomatic immunity. So here they get the it, – it's terrible. They, they're citizens with diplomatic immunity. They're, they're super citizens. No one's talking about that. Finally, let me close with something fundamental as I started the show with. 
There's a bunch of schmucks going around and saying that Scalia somehow he was a textualist and he wouldn't he'd say you're born here you're born here. If you read his opinion in Zavidas, his dissent in Zavidas and concurrence, which is really a dissent in Arizona v. U.S., he as I, I speak about so often, he was a strong believer in sovereignty to such a point he would never ever 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 let this happen. But I want to you to understand Scalia. Scalia wasn't Amelia Bedelia. Scalia looked at tradition and sovereignty and common sense. He exuded it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you the opening of a case that's going to shock you coming from Scalia, but if you understood Scalia, Scalia, it's not a shock. Brown v. Plata. This was the case, another beauty from Anthony Kennedy, mandating that, Flo- that California basically release 46,000 convicted criminals because of overcrowding. The Constitution mandated that. Here's what Scalia said. There comes before us now and then a case whose proper outcome is so clearly indicated by tradition and common sense that its decision ought to shape the law rather than vice versa. One would think that before allowing the decree of federal district court to release 46,000 convicted felons, this court would bend every effort to read the law in such a way as to avoid that outrageous result. Today, quite the contrary, the court disregards stringently drawn provisions of the governing statute and traditional constitutional limitations upon the power of a federal judge in order to uphold the the absurd. And then he goes on to call this the most radical injunction issued by a court in our nation's history. Now, the thumbsuckers understanding of Scalia, that this doesn't sound like Scalia. He sounds very emotional, not textually. We would bend everything. But what he means is, even where the Constitution kind of probably thinks that, but it would result in the destruction of your nation. You would bend everything to avoid that outcome. Here, we're bending everything to maybe possibly you could read in to include illegals. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is the thumb-sucking class we live in. This is why we have a broken conservative movement. I gotta run. Hope this was helpful. We'll speak more about this later this week. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.